Welcome to A Shot in the Arm podcast. I'm Ben Plumley, and I'm joined by three incredibly powerful women who are, well, we all are members of the MTV Staying Alive Foundation family, but that's not what we're talking about today. So let me first of all introduce, as always, my co-host and sister, Yvette Raphael. Hey, Yvette. Hey, Ben. How's it? It goes well, thank you. I'm also joined by uh, my partner in crime and also friend of the pod, my co-chair at MTV Staying Alive, Steph Lovo. Steph, how are you? I'm great, Ben. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. Awesome. And last and by definitely not least <laughs> is a really dear old, 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 old friend of mine. <laughs> and I was realizing we've known each other since 2002. Yes. You realize that? Yep. It is Wame Jallo, who is the new executive director of MTV Staying Alive. Yay! Yay. Hey, Wame. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Hello, I'm good. friend. <laughs> so look, this podcast is about the role of women in Africa, particularly South Africa, Southern Africa, um, in leading digital and social media to to change lives, uh, particularly in the health sphere, but Mm -hmm. not only. And you are all extraordinary experts in your own right. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of this podcast is really to tell other girls and young women, some of whom indeed are subscribers to A Shot in the Arm, believe it or not, um, what they can do, how they can be inspired. So, um, Wame, first up, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and how on earth you got ended up at MTV (laughs) Staying Alive? All right. Well, thanks. That's a really very good question, and it's a very long-winded question, so I'll try and summarize it as much as I can. But um, my passion is making sure that we can understand the lives of people all around the world and bring their voices to the table, especially the ones who are marginalized, who are unheard, mm-hmm. who we don't hear from, the people who are who matter the most. So I got into this work loving communities and always wanting to make sure that communities are at the center of everything w- that we do, uh, designer programs, being implementer of services, et cetera, et cetera. So the road was long. I started with research, doing community-led monitoring, allowing communities to collect information and saying, hey, this is what matters to me. This is why it matters, and this is why I need to sit at the table and share what I what I know. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started, and then it became, but wait a minute, these are stories of people's lives, and why do they matter? Because we don't hear about them. We hear about data, we see graphs, we see all these policies, yeah. but we don't see the people who matter the most yeah. actually sitting down and saying, hey, wait a minute, that's my story. Yeah. This is why this matters. So. I, long story short, I'm here. I got to MTV Staying Alive because I was able then to advocate for young people to tell their stories. Yeah. And I hope to continue to do that and to make sure that we're bringing young, unheard voices to the table. Amen to that. <coughs> sure. Steph. Don't ask me after that answer. <laughs> As the host, the co-host of uh, the YouTube channel series, The Undlovos Uncut, yeah. You have an audience a subscriber list of what, 337,000? Yes, 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 yes. And that's all in South Africa or is it is it broader than that? Uh, it's largely in South Africa, probably a good like 90% South Africa or 85% and then the rest is like spread out, yeah. 
And you're an actor, your husband is an actor. Yes. How did you, why did you choose YouTube? Why did you go digital? Yeah, so um, the way that we went digital was actually during COVID. Because we're, like you said, we're both, you know, actors and during COVID it was locked down. Mm -hmm. So nobody was, there were no actors, you know, who were allowed to shoot. And, um, you know, for a long time, people have had kind of an interest in our relationship, but we were not trying to, you know. And then <laughs> just literally one day, <laughs> like, you know what, we're so bored. <laughs> this is the honest truth. <laughs> we're so bored and we are just actually annoying each other. And we were having a conversation and we said, you know, let's, why don't we record this conversation and just put it on YouTube and see what happens. And we had no idea that um, in less than a year we would have 100,000 subscribers. And um, at the time we weren't thinking about what it is that we actually want. N right now we're, we're a lot more intentional about our content. Mm -hmm. But during that time it was really just about our lives, mm -hmm. to echo what you were saying. Mm -hmm. It was our story, you know, how we got married, the drama of our traditional, you know, uh, wedding, the bola <laughs> negotiations. We were really just telling the story of our daily lives and what has happened and people just love the authenticity of what you know in which we told those stories mm. and that's how we sort of continued I love it I love it and I w we're going to cover some of those stories I hope in the in the conversation <laughs> a little bit but Yvette <clears throat> you are a power HIV activist who has understood the influence that digital technology has had to the extent that you are always making TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw a really nice PSA um, in a different podcast where you were encouraging fellow South Africans to get their COVID vaccine. So why is the the cell phone, the PDA and all the apps, why are they so important to you as an activist? Uh, ben, I think uh, let's not forget that I had a huge uh, Facebook following and my Facebook got blocked, okay, because of the content. and Because of your bad behavior. Uh, no, <laughs> my, radical, <laughs> my radicalism. But I used Facebook uh, at the time when I was diagnosed to tell my story and people needed to hear authentic stories from people living with HIV, real, uh, real challenges. And I used that. I used Twitter. I had over not like Steph, but yeah, I had over 10,000 <laughs> followers on Twitter, which is, which is big yeah. be, uh, because of the stuff that I did. And um, it's important. It's important for people to, to be able to connect and who can, we can't deny that digital is the way everybody is yeah. going. Yeah. And I really, really did a lot of my work there and it's important for us to change. I'm now on, I'm, I'm now on TikTok and I want to be yeah. a TikTok sensation by the end of the year and Come watch on. that. <laughs> I make TikTok videos all the time about everything, including <laughs> making fun of some of the challenges I go through as a leader in Africa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which sort of gets us to, I guess, the meat of it, actually, which is if you are programming for health, you, you are moving to a, an approach that is about a, a person, a young woman's whole life, mm -hmm. her whole experience. Mm -hmm. And that is so different from the the public health world I grew up in, mm -hmm. which was about, now we jolly well tell these young ladies, <laughs> this is what they do, just cross your legs and say no. And yeah. 
how is it that you have been able to incorporate health messages into these broader uh, storytelling moments and, and what resonates and doesn't resonate? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think I think let's let's look at it the other way around. Um, the messaging needs to come from the person. Mm-hmm. I think I think where we're going wrong is assuming that the person sitting in front of you get receiving the service doesn't know what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know what they need. And I think that is a very old way of thinking about healthcare. People now are coming to the doctor and saying, "Look, I've Googled it. I know exactly what this is. Yeah. This is what I want. This is what I need." And you're gonna help me. And I think we really need to celebrate that, you know, mm-hmm. um, because for the longest time we kept on saying, oh, you know, you have to take your medicine out this by like this time, you have to read the instructions, and we were very much based on that. But now people are more informed. So I, th- I think it's the other way around. I think we now are getting to a space where differentiated service delivery, dif- different way of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, different options need to be put at the table and mm-hmm. allow somebody to say, this is what matters to me. And yes, I can then yeah. adhere or I can, you know, even um, encourage other people, my peers, because mm-hmm. I'm sold to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's important, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think, you know, if I look at the space that I'm in, mm. um, content creation, digital space, and so forth, even sometimes the content that we create is informed by our subscribers. Yes. Um, I mean, it's not all the time, and yes, we've got sort of a content calendar, but. Uh, we take a lot of our lead from what it is that our subscribers want to talk about, you know, and we have found that that is hugely beneficial because we're listening, you know, to what it is that they're interested in. Mm. And I think that as society, we have to get to a point where we are progressive, even in health, and progressive in the sense that we're not dictating that this, that, and that has to be done mm. like this. Because with this, you know, current generation, you can't, you can't be doing that. Mm. They Absolutely. flat out just gonna completely switch off, you know. Mm. And and as much as I know, this is not an MTV Stay in the Life Foundation uh, podcast session. But that's what I love about our organization yes. is that we listen. We listen to what young people's stories are. And then we create our content according to um, their lives, you know, and that is why we are as successful as we are. Yeah. Because we're able to take those stories and create content and create series and then it resonates with them as opposed to saying, well, this is the picture of uh, a family struggling with this and that and that mm. based on our research, mm. right? Um, so in that way, we become thought leaders in the content that we create. Yeah, yeah. Here, here. definitely. And 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 mostly just by, for me, it's looking at my comments and looking at yeah. what people mm-hmm. are asking and also saying some of the things that people think but they are not yeah. able to say yes. I think that is what makes my yeah. my yeah. content relevant to yeah. what I, yeah. I do yeah. and also in our work it's a lot of challenges it's a lot of power yeah. it's a lot of hearing from a certain group of people yeah. now that they hear yeah. I call myself antipose now that they hear from a black woman that they bl- hear from some s- a relatable yes. character although I'm yeah. not a character but they literally yeah. ask those questions and I go back and I answer them and yeah. it's it's just the power of having the space but also relatability yeah yeah and and it gives courage to hear people then say ah oh, if she can say it yeah I can say it too yeah. oh wait a minute that's my story yeah and I think the more and more and more we actually become more outspoken mm-hmm. the more and more stories we're going to collect yeah mm. now did you say outspoken or spoken the more outspoken yeah now yeah. why outspoken 
because we are they said okay there's well, there's a term that's used a lot so the asylum pandemic and i and i and i think it's an, a very important term because i think for a lot of people being intimidated not to speak out loud their fears and concerns um has been mm-hmm. the asylum pandemic mm-hmm. um and because it could be because of lack of space, it mm-hmm. could be because of social norms, mm-hmm. it could be because of self-perceived stigma or or comf- lack of comfort, whatever it is. There are many things for that. So the outspokenness is actually, for me, gratifying because now I'm like, wow, what you have to say is actually powerful. Yeah. And mm-hmm. finally, you can actually say yeah. it and you feel comfortable saying yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean... There's a lot of things, topics we, we discuss on the channel, you know, that once we actually broke the silence, yes. you know, um, speaking into those conversations. I remember we had um, a conversation, you know, about um, a miscarriage because mm. I had had a miscarriage mm. and it was so wild to me in my mind that there were so many women, young yes. women who identified with this, but had never in their mind felt like they they could put something like that on Absolutely. certain social media platforms mm-hmm. especially when you come from if people perceive you as like either a celebrity or an influencer or your lifestyle is mm-hmm. a certain type of way i don't know somehow there are certain things that um you're excluded or they don't imagine that you can go through certain struggles and difficulties it doesn't matter what it is yes. mental health mm-hmm. we've spoken about mental health we've spoken about depression we've spoken about so many things that we face as you know this young married couple we speak about these things and so it gives so many other young people the courage to go well you know I also, yeah. and then you start going through the comments and you start saying, this is my story. This is what happened to me. This mm-hmm. is what, so I definitely resonate yep. with that. It's, it, it allows and creates the space for dialogue and for mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. to happen, you know. Um, yeah. How do you protect your own space, mm-hmm. your own privacy? Because for mm-hmm. a, a certain amount of time, each episode, you bring people into your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but how do you hold on to what's yours that isn't for public consumption? Yeah. So what was very important is my husband and I had a conversation mm-hmm. ahead of starting our channel as to like how much of our lives will we reveal and uh, where do we draw the line. And so it was very important mm-hmm. that we honored that conversation. So we literally said here and no further, no matter how badly people mm-hmm. want to see or hear about that mm-hmm. part of our lives, yes. that is not, that's not up yeah. for sharing. Yeah. Um, a, a simple example is I have a 15-month-old daughter. Mm-hmm. People have been asking since before she was born, uh, what does she look like? Please, can you just put a picture on social media? We just mm-hmm. want to see what, we just, we just, we just, we just. <laughs> and we're like, but she, like, she should be able to have a say somewhat if she even wants a camera in her face. Mm-hmm. And that's just something we feel strongly about. And, um, you know, we've had campaigns wanting to do paid partnerships and all kinds of stuff, you know, but obviously um, f- with her. And we've had to turn down, you know, which is not the easiest thing to do when you're freelancing. <laughs> no. To be like, no, I don't want that money, you know, but we, we've had yes. to turn things down because we are rooted in that which we are, you know, felt yeah. convicted on yeah. and that's mm-hmm. what we believe in. So mm-hmm. how you do that is by making sure that you don't move the mark every time circumstances change. Yes. So so have your like this is I don't want to share this part of my life and stick to it no matter what happens. Don't be flaky. 
on it. <laughs> Don't allow like some kind of you know great check to 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 you know to come in or conversation yeah. about some rates. Mm-hmm. Be like, well, did we really say mm-hmm. we're yes. not going to talk about that, <laughs> or was it? Yeah. No, you yeah. know, and that's how you make sure that you protect mm-hmm. certain parts of your life, even where we record. We choose certain places in our home that we would record in, mm-hmm. and then there's just certain places that is just but not yeah, gonna, we're not going to sh- shoot them. It changes. If some people they don't mind having their entire <laughs> lives, uh, you know, and that's fine if you're yeah. comfortable with that. But we weren't, aren't. So you have been very open, Yvette, since your HIV diagnosis in what the early two thousands, and sharing your story as it has developed as you have developed as a leader how have you maintained a sense of self and kept your the things that are important to you private I, I think for me it's just staying authentic is that I I love the fact that people think my craziness the way I act uh, is, is is not real that is my the authenticity that I project mm-hmm. I also like you, uh, you mm-hmm. Steph I kept my <coughs> children out of it until my daughter could say say stuff for herself only recently was a picture uh, shown of my daughter at two and a half and her at some 24 together yeah, yeah. and 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 I don't show pictures of my son my husband just doesn't want to be on social media yeah. only those people close to me yeah. see see his pictures but all of that is just like you say how you what you want to share and for me it has always been about me mm-hmm. and I know my activism is about me and my family is is apart from that mm-hmm. and just the authenticity so mm-hmm. yeah I've I've been able to keep my kids away yeah. people close to me know my kids but like my son people still ask me why don't you ever show yes. your son yeah. no why yeah. should I show my son he yeah. the people who needs to know him knows him but you need to know enough that he exists so yeah. that's, that's that's about it, it. <laughs> and yeah I, my yeah. husband is very private he keeps me in check also sometimes but yeah. It's it's really very yeah. healthy. It's something that we discuss and we decided that this is about me. I also yeah. want to be free to live my life the yeah. way I need to live it. Yeah. yeah. So what sort of issues mm-hmm. do you think really resonate mm-hmm. from a health perspective through the use of the digital and social media that you use? Um so what health, Matt, what health? So, okay, I will say this uh, very selfishly, also because I'm coming from a country that um, doesn't have access to this, but abortion services are really critical for young people. SRHR services are very critical for young people. We are having so many deaths just because of unsafe abortion practices. We're having so many deaths because women, young girls are not getting the SRHR services that they require. Now, just explain what SRHR Oh, sexual reproductive health services. So, for example, access to condoms believe it or not, is a problem for young people. You know, going into a health facility and saying, I need condoms, you get stigmatized by the healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. So that's problem number one. So a prevention mechanism is not even available to young people. Um, Access to pills, you know, contraceptive pills. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not only just contraceptive pills, but um, different models of contraceptives as a whole. Um, In many of the countries, I mean, and and people have this debate all the time, they're like, oh, no, but it's on the shelf. No, it's not on the shelf. Mm-hmm. One, I don't know what's on the shelf because I'm not informed as a young person what my choices are. 
And then two, when I do want to go access them, I'm being either stigmatized or I'm told that they're not available on mm -hmm. the shelf. Mm -hmm. So before we look at anything else, I think uh, if we look at the data, and sorry, I'm going to the data, the biggest risk we have is uh, disempowering young people to be able to access sexual reproductive health services mm -hmm. in an informed way is a problem. Mm -hmm. There are too many young deaths, there are too many unwanted pregnancies. Uh, we're putting young people's lives at risk, especially young women, um, with high issues of gender-based violence and incest that are happening in many countries. A lot of young women have no choice but to be giving birth to children that are unwanted pregnancies. So there is a lot to be said around that. And as we can see, the Roe versus Wade has now reversed all the gains and it's now having a ripple effect throughout the world in terms of now people's perception around abortion. And I think that's a very dangerous thing because it's going to put many young more lives at risk uh, mm -hmm. going forward. So that's my opinion. Th there was one thing that I, I found very positive in what you describe. Mm. And um, the Global Listening Project, which our podcast is a project of, um, was partnering with uh, some groups in Lagos mm -hmm. to understand mm -hmm. attitudes of teenage girls and young women mm -hmm. around the things that hold them back. Mm -hmm. And particularly around sexual and reproductive health. Oh my gosh, we were blown away mm -hmm. by the 10 to 13 year olds. Mm -hmm. Oh, contraceptives, there's the pill, yes. there's <laughs> condoms, <laughs> there's the implants. Yes. Mm -hmm. They didn't mention the ring, but okay. Mm -hmm. um, I was really surprised. I think we all were. Mm -hmm. And then it was interesting that as you got older, mm -hmm. the girls were not as, as familiar. Yes. So yes. something's going yes. on. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, I would probably say mental health mm -hmm. um, is a big one mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. and I would go a step further and saying mental health um, in the South African context at least or even I, I could say in the African context of um, our men and boys mm -hmm. is something that I feel like is hugely being overlooked mm -hmm. in a lot of ways um, and I know that in South Africa for example going back to data that um, we have, I think, the world's highest uh, suicide um, rate amongst men and boys. And for me, we don't speak about these things enough. And there's also so many stigmas and stuff attached to mental health, holistically speaking. But when it comes to boys, there's also all these um, stereotypes and stuff about how, you know, boys should be strong and how they, you know, can't go to, like, mm. have problems because you somehow are supposed to be able to be the provider and you're supposed to be able to have all your ducks in a row and you're not supposed to have, you know, all this emotion. And so what do, what do you do, you know, with that? Um, and so I think that it then, you know, flows over into a whole host of things. Um, so I would say mental health, you know, generally speaking, is a big thing that we really need to start paying attention to. Mm -hmm. I think um, lockdown and COVID really mm -hmm. um, showed us how big of a, a issue we have um, and also services, yes. right? Because yeah. we can say that, oh, you know, you can call this number and get free counseling or therapy, but um, how, like, how is that going? Like, you know, are you on a waiting list that waiting list number, I don't know, call number 100? Mm -hmm. How is it actually, you know, um, 
doing what it's supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and what other services can young people access where they could speak about the host of things that they are feeling and going through you know um, and so I think mental health is a big a big one mm-hmm. what about you Eva? I think uh, I want to agree with both of them and uh, especially for me it's also around HIV but I, I, I think you remember this Steph mm-hmm. in South Africa there was this young person who went from one tweet, Ujiwa King, mm-hmm. what's bothering you? Mm-hmm. And she had over a million followers within a week. Wow. And it's because of how the state of mental health in our country mm-hmm. is yeah. and how people are not mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. to each other. I think uh, Dear Dolly and all of those things used to cover for that. Mm-hmm. And I think we just need to start thinking around how social media, how yeah. digital platforms can be used and mm-hmm. not lose all of those, you know, those important points where people could relate, people could tell their mm-hmm. stories, yeah. but uh, just for us to to think about it. Yeah. And also, uh, I would like to link also how being HIV positive also is is a big issue for men and they cannot deal with mm-hmm. it. So very few men are able to deal with HIV mm-hmm. issues, mm-hmm. you know, being just diagnosed with HIV. And we need to really, really put mm-hmm. some emphasis on some of the structural drivers yeah. of why our world is so wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, be not being able to provide for your family poverty. Yeah. All yeah. of these things yeah. mm-hmm. do have a negative impact on yeah. how people see their views in life and yeah. mm-hmm. just how that can change. Yeah. And, and I think, and I want to add to the social media thing though, and as much as we can use social media as a tool, right, mm-hmm. to encourage conversations and to have people uh, speak about their stories and that can help them we also have to make sure that there are safety nets in place because social media can also be a tool that can um that can actually do the opposite of what, what yeah. we're wanting to do, yeah. you know. Be so, and it can be used and has been used and is being used, yes. you know, mm-hmm. um, as a source rather than a, a good tool, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so then we have to make sure that there are certain things in place, safety next, there's certain things that we are doing to make sure that young people are also protected on these very same yes. uh, platforms, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that is something that's extremely important because what I noticed being on social media, you know, is that in as much as we get so much love, and we really do, people have such boldness behind yes. their phones <laughs> yeah. and the keypad. I'm telling you. And a pseudo profile. <laughs> and a pseudo profile. User 257891015 million is what their name is. And um, they have such boldness. And yeah. sometimes it's just that one comment that will push yes. someone over the edge, you know. Um, and so that is something that I also just want to say we have to pay close attention to being in the digital yeah. um, spaces that we're in. How do we do that, though? I mean, are you, are you thinking, is that government regulation? Is it self-regulation by the platforms? What is it? I think it's a combination. I think that mm-hmm. there should be government intervention, whatever mm-hmm. that might look like. Mm-hmm. I think the platforms and the companies have a responsibility as well to also have certain safety measures that they're able to put in place mm-hmm. so that um, there are um, there are ways in which you can curb curb that. I know in South Africa, I think I was 
um, I could be wrong, but I was listening to um, a broadcast that was saying now that, you know, you can be arrested for bullying mm. because now um, there's so much suicide happening because of cyberbullying. Sure. And so yeah. I think that those kinds of things, there has to be a way that it's monitored and there has to be a way that your information when you log on shows so mm. that, you, you know, so that law enforcement can show up at your house and say, you're this person who's been saying this, this and this and this. This is where we have you listed. Mm. This is where your location is you're in trouble you shouldn't be doing this however that manifests or looks i think that it's a combination of government it's a combination of the the platform creators and then us mm. who are using it we yeah. also have to hold each <coughs> other accountable as well mm-hmm. as you're taking on this new role <laughs> well may and you know being the champion of young people's storytelling yes where do you draw the line, do you think? I draw the line when it's harmful. When it's harmful. I think that I think we need to, as much as we want to uh, tell all stories, we need to make sure that uh, we're not causing more damage and harm. Mm-hmm. So that's where I draw the line. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think um, we need to have accountability measures that protect young people. Um, just to the point that mm-hmm. you're saying about even uh, social media and how it's being used. I mean, I look at my kids, they're dying to get onto social media and I'm, my heart is palpitating by the minute every time they mention the word. But, you know, we have no choice. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's, it's, the, it's the future. Um, so I've had to now learn to figure out how I can teach my children mm-hmm. to... Um, work with social media but in a way that doesn't cripple them yeah Mm -hmm. um and as a parent that's really tough you know Mm -hmm. um and my daughters have gotten much better at saying mommy you know this person said this and i'm like great at least they're coming to me now with the information and i know how i can then respond to that so i think the more we can build those kind of mechanisms in place for reporting for shaming (laughs) not in a but you know in the sense of saying how dare this person do this yeah but there's also another side of it that we need to be careful mm-hmm. that that we also don't censor the right messages that mm-hmm. need to come through mm-hmm. and i worry about that you know cuz sometimes you see on social media people get banned mm-hmm. from pages yeah. and they're saying something really genuine yeah um and so where does the ethics then lie mm-hmm. in who actually is allowed to be censored and for what yeah. i think those are the the human rights principles that we haven't quite gotten to yet yeah and ai is about to make it like take it into a whole nother a level whole other but level. <laughs> yeah we have to have these hard conversations <laughs> yeah. and we need to create the spaces to have these hard conversations yeah. around the ethics mm. of the digital space yeah what that means for and us. just look at me poor me always <laughs> saying the right <laughs> Uh, on social media and I get banned for nothing. I mean, when I call out patriarchy, I get banned from Facebook. Why? Why is Facebook patriarchal? Yes. I just needed to get that. You needed to say that. I know. I know. Power. I never get get banned for for saying funny things or posting. I just get banned for calling out the real things, you know, and that's that's not cute. Well, that tells you exactly, doesn't it? So you mentioned AI, and I just wondered how, as we're coming to the top of the hour, how you feel about how AI will change your work and your your movement, as it were. I mean, Steph, you responded quite vigorously when <laughs> um, Wame mentioned the term AI. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I can... 
I can I'm, I I don't know how I feel about AI because I can see how it can be beneficial, mm-hmm. but I can also see how it can be detrimental. Um, especially in the hands of certain individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at myself and the work that I do as an actor, and there's a whole lot of things happening right now in the AI space, and um, a lot of um, sort of right now, I th- even you in the year in the US, you know, there's the uh, writers striking, mm-hmm. and that has to do with AI. There's royal. There's there's a lot of things that in my space as as you know as an actor that AI is not. It's not. It's not gelling with. Mm-hmm. So I just I I don't know how I feel. Um. Yeah. I need I need a moment to process. <laughs> yeah. AI. I, I get you, Steph, and yeah. in my work and in my passion, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I think the cure for HIV is on this, on this yeah. AI space. Yeah. What if AI can pull all the science together, together. and say, click, that's, the, yeah. that's the, the cure for HIV. So uh-huh. I'm on a different level. I yeah. want AI to do real work, not yeah. make terrorists out of people who yeah. are not, yeah. Make, yeah. not make, you know, things bad for yeah. people, but come on with the real thing. I want yeah. to see AI come up with a cure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's what we all hope for, the responsible use of any and all uh, technological advances, and it shouldn't replace, you know, a lot of uh, people's way of living no. and income and all that kind of stuff. I saw a humanless McDonald's, by the way. Oh yeah, so I'm yeah, not okay. Th- how many, like, how many jobs at that point in time? I mean, I think at one point they were talking about taking, like, if I've been on five, ten, f- twenty different films mm-hmm. and using different facial like gathering all of that together and then just creating a, a whole entire form with me mm-hmm. but not with me mm-hmm. like that's wild it's just crazy you know for me to even I can't even think you know in that way but then they can be positive like you're saying yeah, you know yeah. so guess well, we'll see there is one form of digital and social media that I mean has huge impact and is absolutely brilliant and powerful um, and that is the podcast, yes. of course. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I that. Knew it. <laughs> of course. So, uh, final question for you all. Yes. Is there a podcast, an episode or a clip that has really stood out to you as a really good example mm-hmm. of the power of telling a story to mm-hmm. con- convey a health message appropriately? This one. Yeah, I was about to say it. A ben. shot in the arm. A shot in the arm. A shot in the arm. arm. A shot in the arm. <laughs> We're <laughs> in agreement. Y- you know? not, that's it. I, do, is that even a debate? I don't even why this is a question. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Next question, Ben. Really no, question? no, no, that's fine. We can, we can, we can close <laughs> here. <laughs> well, so I had one, actually. Okay. I did, yes, and it was a British one. Um, it was um, an episode of a... Um, a political podcast okay. called The Bunker and there was one woman um, who is the uh, head of a political advocacy group called Best for Britain okay. um, and she interviewed um, a woman from Northern Ireland 
um, the uh, British Pregnancy Advisory Service. And of course, Northern Ireland has very, very, very strict abortion restrictions, mm-hmm. much less than the Republic of Ireland. And this was an extraordinary podcast because it it shed a light on the experience of young women mm-hmm. having to leave Northern Ireland and coming yeah. to the coming to the UK. And that actually was a, a big inspiration for mm-hmm. continuing to do a shot yeah. in the arm because I think we can tell stories in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, but I appreciate the love. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're still not changing our mind. It is yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Bwame, Yvette, Steph, Thank you very much for joining us. And I know you've you've all got really busy weeks. We're here recording this during the UN General Assembly, but yeah. uh, thank you for spending the time with us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Thanks Thanks for, for having you. us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Well, that's it for this episode. <laughs> thank you to Wame, to Yvette and to Steph. Thanks to Eric Espera, our director and producer from Newsdoc Media. A special thanks to Chad Harrisman, uh, who is our New York producer. Our production coordinator is Waisha Raphael, and our intern is Will Lansdale. We're a project of the Global Listening Project. Have a great week and a safe week, everyone. <laughs>